Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Man, it's good to be in the house of God and celebrate church this Easter Sunday. I'm, ex- I'm especially happy because last, uh, last Easter we were... We didn't have our doors open, so we had to uh, we had to celebrate Easter uh, virtually via via, uh, via Facebook Live, and and it was it was awesome. But it's uh, it's always a fun celebration when you get church folks in here and friends and family. You know, right now this is why I love Easter because right now all across this nation churches are full, they're packed, and God is glorified. Amen. And the devil is mad because he's reminded that he lost. Have you ever been reminded about the time when you lost at something? <laughs> Make you mad all over again? Oh, I can't believe I lost to him, right? Especially when it's the person, especially when the person reminding you is the one who beat you, right? That's, <laughs> I remember being in elementary school. I was the fastest kid in my grade. Like the fastest. And uh, we would have these races during recess. Uh, and for like a whole year, I was the reigning champ, undefeated, fastest in my, my grade. They called me Speedy Cantu, right? <laughs> they, I'm just kidding. They didn't call me that. But, uh, but towards the end of the, I remember towards the end of the school year, at the close of it, this new kid came into town. And um, this guy was good at like everything. He was awesome at the uh, at the basketball court, uh, on the football field, um, dodgeball. I mean, he could do everything. His name was Dimitri, and I remember one of my kids, uh, my, my my friends, he uh, had the bright idea of having Dimitri challenge me to a race, right? And uh, he was like, "You should you should uh, race John Ryan because he's the fastest kid, and and you'll probably beat him, right?" And so. Uh, he challenged me one recess. I ain't no chump. I said yes, um, and, uh, and and he beat me, and he beat me, and, and he didn't whoop me, but he beat me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't wearing the right shoes that day. Uh, but 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 after that after that day, every time I would see Dimitri, I'd be reminded that I was no longer the reigning champ. And I know this is kind of a cheesy application to that story, but every time, you know, the church comes together to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, it's a brutal reminder of the defeat that Satan had uh, because Jesus resurrected and what the devil thought was going to be his victory, God actually turned it around. What was once the reigning champion in our world can now be boldly challenged and said, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? So the devil is rolling his eyes today at his defeat, and that's why I love Easter Sunday. Someone give God one more shout of praise this morning, like it's Easter. Amen. Amen. Easter is one of the most busiest times for for pastors, and it it was really busy today. I mean, I I had to to have the media team start an extra couple minutes because I was just kind of doing some stuff and I didn't get a chance to take off my jacket. No, it was just a mess this morning. I wasn't going to play. I wasn't going to do worship this morning, but I just love doing worship. And I was like, you know what? I want to play the acoustic today. And I shouldn't have said that because like my voice is done. I'm tired, but praise God. It feels good to be used by God. 
It feels, you know, they, there's that, there's that the thing that people say, use and abuse. When you say yes to God, God will use you till you feel abused. But it's a beautiful thing because we know that we're being used for the right purpose. It feels good. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a little bit this morning. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 26. And if you're visiting for the first time, maybe you're visiting for the first time ever in your life. Maybe this is the first time in two years since you've been back at church. Welcome. God bless you. We would love to have you back. Not, not just next Easter, but next Sunday. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. I can't promise a petting zoo next time. Uh, but anyways, I'm, I'm going to take you to three different places here this morning in the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to start with Matthew 26. And we're going to be reading uh, verses 36 through 39. Matthew 26, 36 through 39. And it says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. Now I want to go down a couple verses to verse 56 of the same chapter. Jesus receives his answer from God that this cup is not going to pass from him. And he says, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. And one more place. See, now we have Jesus who was once surrounded by an entourage. Jesus used to be at one point at the high, at the, at the pinnacle of his ministry. He was the most popular person in his day. He was at the center of attention and, and he was speaking truth and he was doing miracles and, and he was never alone. Now he's alone. Even his closest friends left him just as he predicted they would. And then we get to Matthew 27. So the next chapter, verse 45 through 46. It says, now from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Amen. Right there where you're at, I'm just going to pray over this word. Heavenly Father, I thank you, my God, for bringing us here this morning together. On this day to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that this word may speak into someone's life this morning and that it may bring conviction, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I entitled the sermon today, uh, Becoming. Say that with me. Becoming. That is a word that signifies a process uh, by which something is made into something else, right? That's what, it, that's what becoming means. It's a very simple, basic Definition to be to become like something means you have to go through a process um, of transforming from the former into the new. And sometimes this is a process that is that is quick. Right. You can become something very quickly. Like like the other day, my wife, she she made this uh, this delicious rice called minute rice. And. uh <laughs> Uh, the, the recipe that we were, we were using a new recipe and it didn't call for rice. Okay. So we were just like, you know, rice would be a good, 
side to have. So let's make, let's whip something up, right? So minute rice. And I was, I've never used minute rice. And man, it's pretty amazing. Like it, have you, anybody used minute rice? You're like, no, we're Hispanic. We do it, we do it for real. <laughs> uh, okay, well, whatever. You and you cooks, right? We, uh, so, so we did this minute rice and it was good, right? We just boiled the water and it was within a minute or two. It was done, and we could eat it. It was, it was awesome. Um, you know, so that, that, that's an example of a, qu- a quick process of something becoming uh, something else. Another quick process, this time in a spiritual aspect, um, is, is salvation. Salvation is instant. It is instant. It, it happens at the moment that you accept Jesus. Paul says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus resurrected from the grave, you will be saved. That simple, that quick. You know why it's that quick? Because the transaction has already been done. Jesus already fulfilled it. He already paid the price. All we have to do is go and accept it and believe it. Now, other times, becoming something or becoming like something, it it requires a lengthier process. Like like for real rice, right? Um, And and the... the, (laughs) The example that I would, I would use is right now, Layla, my daughter Layla, she's really into the drums. And she wants to learn. And, and so I, I, I took one of my drum sets that I had when I used to teach drums. I took it home and uh, started kind of teaching her. And right now, Layla is like really into rock music. Um, she loves Skillet, which I, I've always loved Skillet. But now I don't really like Skillet that much because every single time we get in the car, she just wants to, wants to play Skillet. But she melts my heart sometimes. Because I'm a musician, right? I, I grew up with a bunch of uh, musicians and, 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 you know, Pastor Danny, we would, we would come into the church and we would, you know, just, he would be on the drums and I'd be on the keyboard. We would just kind of jam. Uh, and so I know the feeling. And Layla comes up to me the other day and she says, Daddy, can we jam? And I was like, oh my God, yes, we can, right? <laughs> it was a beautiful thing. And we went, up, we went upstairs to her playroom and I've been teaching her, like, how to play on the, on the downbeat and what the upbeat is and how to keep count. And she gets frustrated because she wants to be good, like right now. She wants to be an awesome drummer. And I tell her that, hey, you have to go through the process of becoming a good drummer. You have to practice. You have to train. You have to, you have to spend hours learning the drums. And so if the process of salvation happens quickly, I want you to get this. The process of spiritual maturity or the process of becoming like Jesus takes time. You don't have it down right away, okay? You don't, if, if you get saved today, you accept Jesus into your life today, that doesn't mean that you are like him tomorrow. It is a process. And when the Bible speaks of the concept of becoming, it's usually in the context of us Christians becoming more like Christ. We are to be like Christ. We are to be imitators of Christ. Be perfect as I am perfect. But to become like Jesus is usually done through the long process. Someone say long process. The long process of sanctification. You have to become more holy. You have to become more pure. You have to become less prideful. You have to become less full of yourself. You have to become less bitter. You have to become less angry. You have to become more like Jesus. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind by becoming a living sacrifice. So we can only be like Jesus by becoming like Jesus. 
Because no one just is like Jesus. No one. No one comes just, they're just ready to go like Jesus, perfect. You have to become like him, but it takes time. Amen? And if you've been a Christian for a while, you, you know what that process is like. See, sometimes when you come to Christ and you receive salvation, it's an exciting time. Anybody remember when they were saved? It was, it's an awesome time. And you go home and, and, and you tell the world and you tell your family, hey, I'm going to start going to church now. I know it's going to be weird for you, but I'm going to change some things around the house. I'm going I'm to try to change some, some habits because I have to start thinking differently. I have to start becoming a better person. I have to, I have to be differently. But 100% of the time, you are going to revert back to your old self in a moment of weakness. You're going to let that, that word slip out of your mouth that you've been trying to stop saying because you were so used to saying it. You might allow yourself to get angry over nothing because that's just the way that you've always dealt with things. You might find yourself gossiping with your non-church uh, church friends about your church friends because you want to stay relevant to your non-believing friends. And, and people are going to take notice of this and they're going to look at you and they're going to ask you a question that we've probably all been asked before or a statement we've, always, we've already all heard before. I thought you were a Christian. Why are, you, why are you talking like that? I thought you were a Christian. I was waiting for you to fall. I was waiting for you to come back down. I thought you were a Christian. And that is going to frustrate you. It's going to discourage you. It's going to make you wonder if a, if a real change actually even took place in the first place. But can I just tell you that they only say that because they don't understand that becoming like Jesus is a process. And so I want to just encourage, if, you, if we have any new believers in the room today and you're struggling with that, look, we are all still trying to become like Jesus, okay? Some of us are a little bit further down the road, but we haven't gotten there yet. Thankfully, through the Holy Spirit, we are able to achieve a more like, uh, a Christ-like character, but it does take time. Okay, now you might be thinking this morning, what the heck does this have to do with Easter? <laughs> what does it have to do with the passage that we just read? I'm going to tell you, the only reason that we're even able to strive to be like Jesus is because Jesus first had to become like us. Amen? He had to become like you first in order for us to become like him. In fact, when we talk about the, uh, the doctrine of incarnation, I know that's a big theological word, incarnation. That word comes from the Greek word incarnatio, which means, literally means to take on flesh. Jesus literally took on flesh. He literally became flesh. Jesus, the son of God, the second in the Trinity, became human flesh. And I want to read from Philippians 2, 6 through 8. I believe it's up here. It says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what I want to get you to understand this morning, church, is, is how much Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And, and his love, it, it, it goes beyond the cross. And this is a beautiful, beautiful cross. And, 
And my, my sisters worked hard on it yesterday. And it's, it's beautiful. And, and the cross, you know, is like the ultimate symbol of love. It's the ultimate symbol of, of sacrifice. Dying on a cross was a criminal's death. That's what they did to criminals, to thieves, to, to murderers. And they did that to Jesus. And it wasn't just a painful way to go out. It was humiliating. You were literally dying in front of an audience with everything. Just, you're just vulnerable. Everything. Everything is just right there. You're helpless. You're dying. Everyone's just looking at you, waiting for you to take your last breath. They even went a step further to mockingly crown Jesus with a crown of thorns. They, they pierced his side at the end as if he was like this dying animal that just needed to be put out of his minis- uh, misery. And he didn't deserve a single part of that, but yet he endured it for you and for me. That is the beauty of the cross and how, how something so tragic and something so representative of death now represents a new life for us through his death. But I think that this passage that we just read in Philippians, and I want you to highlight it in your Bible or mark it because I want you to, I want you to do a study on it. I think that this passage tells us that the love of Christ isn't just seen on the day he went to the cross. It was seen on the day he became flesh. It was seen on the day that he became weak, when he became vulnerable to temptation just as, as we are, when he became lonely, when he became misunderstood, when he became, as Isaiah says, a man of sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. If you study Jesus, the life of Jesus, the human life of Jesus, I teach this Christology class at Houston Institute of, of Theology, and I have, a, I have one of my students here, uh, so he's, he's probably knowing where I'm going with this. But if you, if you study Jesus, there's a, man, there's a lot to learn about Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't just the Son of God, he was also the Son of Man. And there was a lot of human things that Jesus went through that we don't even realize because we just say, oh, he's God. He became like us. He became weak. He became, uh, he became uh, subject to temptation. And if you study Jesus, the human nature of Jesus, you'll discover that, that Jesus felt a lot of human emotions. Emotions are a human thing. It's a human thing. Jesus, for the first time in eternity, when he became man, he began to feel human emotions. But the Bible never records, not a single time, you can look for it, and never records Jesus laughing or smiling. And you might say, well, maybe the authors just didn't decide to put that in there. Maybe. But there are, there, there are a lot of emotions that Jesus felt in the Bible that are recorded, and not a single one is, is happy. In fact, when the Bible talks about the emotions that Jesus felt, it talks about his sorrow. It talks about his troubled spirit. It talks about his grief when, when, when he was moved to tears after seeing uh, the mourning of Mary and Martha after Lazarus. He, he started to feel grief. Uh, we see the anger of Jesus. We see the frustration of Jesus. We never hear of a happy Jesus while he was on earth. Was he ever happy in the 33 years of his life? I would, li- I would hope to think so. But the Bible portrays portrays the overall emotional demeanor of Jesus as a man of sorrows. And that's what Isaiah said he was going to be. A man of sorrows. Why? Because he left heaven to become 
like us. And not just that, he left a place without sin to a place filled with sin. He left a place where there were no tears, no suffering, no hunger to a world plagued with suffering. Some of us won't even go to a motel because we've already experienced hotels. I know that's right, Uncle David. I'm the same way. Mm-mm. I t- one time I took, uh, we, we, it, was just a, it was a day trip. It was a day trip. I took Melissa, you know, like, we're just going to save some money. We're just going to stay at a Motel 6. She said, never take me to a Motel 6 again, ever in her life. <laughs> but, you know, when you've experienced nice things, you don't want to, you don't want to, da- who wants to downgrade, right? We like to upgrade. Have you been a, ever been to a vacation? This happened on our, on our honeymoon, right? We get to the front desk, um, and uh, the guy says, oh, Mr. Cantu, we see that this is your anniversary. We actually have a, a, a master suite available. We could, we could upgrade you free of charge. Would you like to do that? Absolutely, I would like to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. How am I going to say no to that? But imagine going and you reserved the master suite. And they say, actually, Mr. Cantu, uh, we don't have any master suites available. We can, we can downgrade you to the junior suite. Would you like that? I don't want a junior. I'm 13. I'm not 13 years old. I want a junior suite. Give me the man suite. I want a junior suite. I'm I'm, I'm bougie like that when it comes to vacation. (laughs) Okay. Man, my my parents tell me that when when I was a kid, I would go in before them into any any hotel that we would inspect. Uh, I'm sorry. Not inspect. Stay. I was doing the inspecting. Uh, I would go in there and I would, I would, I would, sm- I would like do a sniff test because you know how some, you know, hotels, they kind of smell like cigarettes. I'm like, okay, I would, I would go, I would look at the, you know, the restroom, the facilities, all that stuff. And I'm like, all right, I guess we could stay here. That's and to this day. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the same way. Amen. Amen. I, I, I get it from the Salazar family. Right. Um, but, but this is the ultimate love of God. That God became man. He was God. He was in his throne. He was full of glory, full of just radiating the Father's glory. And he became man. He became a nature that was far inferior to his own. And these three passages each reveal three very different human experiences that the the divine Son of God had to face. I want to highlight them briefly. Sometimes we think that God doesn't understand us. That's a lie. He does understand you. He became you to understand you. And this is why the Bible talks about him as an advocate for us, as the high priest, because he knows us experientially. He experienced the human nature. God knows what it is to feel pain. God knows what it is to feel temptation. He knows what it is to feel troubled. And that's the first thing that he felt. Matthew 26 37 says he became sorrowful and troubled, even to the point of death. He says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. A cup had a lot of different connotations, but in this context, Jesus was asking God to remove the fate that he had set for him. If possible, Father, find another way to carry out your plan. His spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. 
And in the Christian walk, there are going to be periods where, where your spirit is going to be troubled and is going to be distressed. I think Jesus felt conflicted here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because on the one hand, Jesus wanted to do the will of the Father. But on the other hand, he didn't like what the will of the Father involved. Have you experienced that before? That spiritual dissonance? Jesus had never before experienced that type of spiritual dissonance before becoming human. But he gets it now. He understands what it is to have a troubled spirit. He understands when you're, when you're in your own version of the garden of Gethsemane and you're saying, God, I don't know if I can go through with this. Take this cup from me. I want to please you, but I, I also, I don't want to have to go through the pain. He understands the temptation of walking away from the will of God. This was the temptation for Jesus. This is why he rebuked Peter. When Peter says, no, you're not going to go to the cross. You're not going to die. He said, get behind me, Satan. That was a temptation. He was rebuking the temptation of, of foregoing the cross. He knows what it is to be troubled. Verse 56 says that the disciples left him and fled. This is the second thing that he felt. He became abandoned. Judas betrayed Jesus. His disciples left him, the perfect son of God. When he came to earth, he got the full dosage of human faithlessness and betrayal. Jesus had never, before becoming human, felt abandonment. Because in heaven, he was surrounded by a host of angels that worshipped him day and night. The heavens constantly proclaiming his majesty. And then he comes to become like us, and he is rejected and abandoned. One of the most heartbreaking verses in all of scripture for me is John 1.11. John 1.11 says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He understands what it is to be abandoned. And maybe you felt that before. Maybe you felt abandoned before by the people that you thought loved you, by the people that you thought were your friends. Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus understands you. There's one more point here, and I'm going to close it out with this one. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Go ahead and come up. Out of all the things that Jesus became when he came to earth, he became weak. He became prone to, to suffering. He became troubled. He became abandoned, pain, distressed, conflicted. Out of all of those things, you, you, you might think, okay, what's, what's the big deal? Jesus felt these things. We all feel these things. We've all gone through these things. Here's the difference. Jesus didn't deserve any of it. Jesus didn't need to become like us. He didn't need to die for us. He did it out of obedience for the Father and out of love for us. And out of all the things that Jesus became, the one thing, I want you to get this. If you haven't gotten anything else, I want you to understand this. The thing that hurt him the most to become was sin. Jesus became sin. Now this one was unique to Jesus because even when Jesus stepped into our world, not one time did he sin. Not one time. Which is why he was able to say that, that he and the Father were one. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus was the mere image and glory of God in human form. And he walked his entire life Without a single blemish, some of us can't go an entire hour 
without a thought of negativity. Jesus went 33 years without a single blemish, casting out every demon, casting out every temptation before him. The perfect, unblemished son of God. Sin is everything that God is not. And yet Jesus became it. On the cross, on the cross, he he takes all of it in. He takes on my sin and not just a single sin. He takes every single one of my sins that I've ever committed and that I would ever commit. He took on your sin. Any sin that would otherwise forever separate you from the perfect father. Every thought, every, every action, every ill intent, every moment of weakness. He took our sin. And there is not, there's not a single sin too great for the grace of God. I don't know who needs to hear that today. I'm, I'm speaking a message to, to people who feel like, you know what, I'm not good enough. You think you have to be good enough to be a Christian. None of us are good enough. That's, that's the whole point of Jesus because he was good enough. And he took on our flesh to make us acceptable and pleasing to the Father. There is not a single thing in your life, not a single sin too great for the grace of God. Jesus even forgave sins that that we wouldn't forgive. Imagine that. And this moment of, of, of becoming us was the one that hurt Jesus the most. He utters the words taken from the psalmist in Psalms 22. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. It means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to see something. For the very first time in scripture, Jesus does not refer to his father as father. Every other time when he's talking to God, he says, my father, my father, my father, my father. For the very first time in scripture on the cross, when he's hanging For the sake of humanity, he doesn't say my father, he says my God. Some commentators have suggested that in that moment, my Jesus didn't feel the warmth of his own father because he was experiencing the wrath of God that was supposed to be my wrath, supposed to be your wrath. And in this single moment, on the cross the father had to look away <laughs> we don't understand that we don't understand Jesus had never before experienced separation from his father even while he was here on earth he had this connection with his father he had this incredible relationship with his father he and the father were inseparable it was the claims that he and the father were one that got him to the cross on the first place but in this moment while he's hanging on the cross for my sake taking on the sin of the world God had to look away and he had to separate himself from Jesus If you're a father, you would, you would, if you, if you're a loving father, you would never turn your back on your kids. 
no matter what they do, because you love your kids. It's not a thing that they could do that, that would make you want to abandon them. But God being the perfect creator of the universe, of the cosmos, radiating glory forever, this moment that Jesus became sin in the same way that when we became sin, when we died to our sin, God separated himself from humanity. And in this moment, Jesus comes and he, he separates himself from the Father by taking away the sin that was mine. Jesus didn't just become human flesh, he became sin. And it's because he became sin that now we can be like him. I want to leave you with one more, more verse. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, for our sake. Someone say our sake. You know what? Say my sake. Make it personal. For my sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. Because he became us, we can become the righteousness of God. There might be some people in the room this morning or maybe you're watching online, you think that you are incapable of being more than what you currently are because you think that because you have a past, that doesn't mean that you can't have a future. Or maybe you think that, that you've reached your limit on what God will allow you to become. God, uh, God desires that you become like him. That's why he made it possible for every single one of us. In order for me to become like him, Jesus had to first become, had to become like me. If that doesn't get you excited. Because Jesus died for our sins, we can die to our sins and resurrect with him just like Jesus did. Come on, we, we, know, we know it didn't end on the cross. My sister Alexis, she, uh, she sings beautifully. She was up here, right there. She's also our, our, our creative director at Numa Church. She makes us look good on social media. And uh, she... Uh, she asked me, she wanted, to, she wanted to have an Easter shirt. She wanted to sell some, some merch, as she calls it. And uh, she asked me to, to come up with a, with a title, like a punchline to put on a, on a shirt. She knows I'm a master sermon title, a titler. So she asked me. Um, and, and so I threw her some, some different ones. And, and the, the one that made the cut, it was... Bert David, can you come up here real quick, man? Show this shirt real quick. He's wearing our Spanish one. It says, Su gracia venció la tumba. Grace beat the grave. Grace beat the grave. Now, we're not able to defeat the grave on our own. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. We're not able. See, when, 
when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God, God first told them, hey, I want you not to eat of this tree because in the day that you do, you will surely die. You will die. Now, God wasn't talking about just a physical death. He was talking about a spiritual death. I am going to remove my presence from you. You will die. And they did it. They did it. And when they did, this perfect creation of God became blemished and death was introduced into the world. And there was not a single thing you or I or the most righteous person could ever do to defeat it. So Jesus came. He became us. He went to the cross. He went to the grave. And then he came out of it. He stepped out of it. He beat it. It rolled away. And that's such a powerful thing. But what I think is equally as powerful is I have that same power. Because he became death on the cross. Now I can become life eternal in him. That is only by the grace of God that we were able to conquer the grave. Salvation is here in this place. I'm going to ask that you stand. The grace of God is in the place, is in the room this morning. And I don't want to give, I, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to, to ask if you want to commit your life to Jesus, if you want to step out of that grave and into the grace of God that's already been extended to you and to your family and to your children and to their children and their children, it doesn't matter what they step into because Jesus stepped into our world. I thank God that I don't have to worry so much about how corrupt our world becomes because the same grace that I'm experiencing today, my great, 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 great grandchildren will have access to it. That grace is here in this room, but it might have to start with you. It may have to start with, with you as the priest or, or, or the, the, the man and the woman of your household to teach your children the grace of God so that they can teach their children the grace of God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask that we just bow our heads this morning. We're going to sing that song in just a second. Bow our heads, close your eyes. And what I'm going to do, and I want you, we're almost done. We're almost out of here, okay? And then you can go pet animals. But this is a moment that could either take you into eternity or keep you bound in your sin. And if you want to say yes to Jesus today, you want to say yes, I want to, I want to accept salvation. That, that's going to be an instant process. And you say, my God, I want to start becoming less like me. I want to, I want to start picking up my cross and following you, my God, to whatever it is that you would have for me, wherever it is that you would leave me, my God. Because I know that I'm not good enough by... But by your grace, I am made acceptable and pleasing. If that's you today, you want to accept Jesus into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask that you, you raise your hand. 
That salvation is here for you this morning. If you're ready, if you want to accept Jesus, God. If that's you, just one more time, raise it high, raise it high so I, so I can, we can get a final count. Okay. Okay. All right, praise God. I believe we have about five people that are making a commitment to Jesus this morning. Come on, rejoice with them. Rejoice with them. If that was you, and you raised your hand, I want, I want to encourage you. Look, you're going to walk out of here today, and you're going to, you'll feel refreshed. You're going to feel good. But the process of becoming like Jesus is going to take time. But it's possible because he became like you. He suffered for you. He became sin for you so that we may become righteousness like him. And if you made that commitment this morning, I want you to make that commitment this morning. And I'm going to ask that you repeat these words after me. We're going to say this, this prayer. I'm going to have the whole church, if we, if we could just say it together. And then right after that, I'm going to have the worship team sing something. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace over my life I know that I'm a sinner I know that I'm imperfect and I know that I need a savior today I say yes to my savior I say yes to my Lord I say yes to Jesus Holy Spirit fill me and begin to sanctify me so that I may become the righteousness of God in Jesus' name, and the whole church, come on. Let's celebrate this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again, and God bless.